Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through. Keeping their delicate skin healthy and happy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick and goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable. When my oldest was little, she would get the worst diaper rash. It left me feeling so desperate to help her while also wanting something gentle on her skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor. When she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash, she let nothing get in her way. You can use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel confident that you are making the right choice. Dr. Mom is committed to providing an ultra-premium formula for moms that won't settle when it comes to their little ones. Soothe and restore with active ingredients being dimethicone and petrolatum. You can find more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com or find it on Amazon or walmart.com. You are listening to the VBAC Link Podcast. We have another special episode for you today. It is special episode number seven. And today our guest is our own host, Julie. She Surprise. is I know. <laughs> <laughs> she is actually going to share with you a very personal topic of hers. And it's her breastfeeding journey and where she has been through all of her children with her breastfeeding. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you guys. I I have so much to share and I know this is such a sensitive topic in the birth community and opinions are, are many and varied and I have been through a, a lot of things. So we are going to pick it back up and just start at the very beginning right after our beautiful intro. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Good morning, women of strength. We have had quite the month. Have you enjoyed all of our special episodes that we have had for you this month? Oh my gosh, I... I, I've loved every single one of them. I think they all brought value in some way. And if you think so too, don't get ahead of me here, but if you think so too, go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes or on Facebook or wherever you listen to the podcast. We would love to hear from you and we would love to know how our special episodes have brightened your day in December, where if you're anywhere like Utah, has been pretty cold and miserable. Freezing, <laughs> like 20 degrees. <laughs> it's way too much. I'm ready to like move to Hawaii or not be in the middle of winter anymore. But anyways, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. I'm going to close out our month-long of special episodes today, but don't worry because we are bringing at least one special episode to you every single month here 
2019. So if you have an idea or something that you want to submit and or something that you want to have on a special episode, go ahead and email us info at the vbacklink.com or find us on Instagram or on Facebook or on Apple Podcasts or anywhere and contact us because we love talking to you and we love hearing from you. So without further ado, I will just get going. (laughs) So, oh, you guys, I just, if you've heard my story before on on episode number three, I share the story of my C-section and my subsequent VBACs. But what I don't get into as much is the breastfeeding side of it. And my goodness, my first birth was a C-section and he was a preemie at 36 weeks and I was only allowed to see him every three hours for 30 minutes, just as long as it took to try and feed him. And it always ended up with breast nursing and then supplementing with formula because as a preemie, he needed to gain weight probably quicker than most babies just because that's what preemies need. And <laughs> and I remember being in the in the the breastfeeding room in the little nursery they had there at the hospital and um you know feeding from each breast and then him still not being full and having to supplement with formula so i lived in the hospital for 2 weeks while he was there and coming in every 3 hours to the same routine and uh my milk didn't come in for 8 days and the pediatrician there said, which if you didn't know, eight days is a really, really, really long time to wait for milk to come in. Uh, usually it comes in around day three or four, sometimes five, but eight days is long. Even the hospital pediatrician said to me, I have never seen a woman's milk take so long to come in. And so I just thought, well, well, it's not working. And I didn't really think too much of it. You know, I just had a C-section. I was completely sleep deprived and exhausted and worried about how my baby was doing and, and didn't really know anything about breastfeeding. And I got to the point where he just preferred the bottle. He knew where the good stuff was, you know, because he wasn't getting anything from the breast. So he wouldn't even nurse anymore. He just, you know, went straight to straight to the formula, preferred that. And, you know, eventually he gained enough weight and he came home and he was on oxygen and and he was just a formula fed baby. And I didn't really have a feeling about it. I guess I was just like kind of neutral. I was a little sad that we couldn't nurse, but at the same time, I was so excited to see my little four pound, 10 ounce baby almost double in size by the time he was four months old. So that was really awesome. So then as I was pregnant with my second baby and I was getting ready to V-back, I really knew that breastfeeding was going to work. I educated myself, obviously, on a lot of different things related to birth and breastfeeding and pregnancy and prenatally and all sorts of things. And I knew, I just knew in my head that the reason why breastfeeding failed for us was because I was only allowed to see him every three hours for 30 minutes. That was it. And I I just told myself, like, how was I supposed to know that I had a baby? How was my body supposed to know it needed to perform these normal biological functions when it didn't even know there was a baby around? And, you know, 36 weeks gestation, which is not super early, but early enough that my body didn't have time to, to naturally transition into labor on its own. So... I was just so sure that breastfeeding was going to work and that it was going to be great. And 
you know, I read all this literature about how, you know, um, babies born vaginally have greater chances of making it to six months nursing and that, you know, I just like logically in my mind, like it all made sense. I'm like vaginal birth equals successful breastfeeding. So coming on to it, you all know how my VBAC went with my second baby, my first VBAC, and it was beautiful. It was perfect. It was everything I dreamed it would be. He, you know, it was textbook. It was perfect. It was uncomplicated. He was, he had head in the 99th percentile and I pushed him out vaginally and it was so awesome. And I was so excited and he latched on after about, no, I don't know, 20 to 30 minutes or so. And he was nursing and it was great. And I was happy and everything was happy and everything was perfect. And, and my mind didn't think anything else. I was just, you know, going to go on and nurse my baby, just like any other mom. And so I started out that relationship. And as you know, I had a home birth for my, for all three of my VBACs, really. So I went to check with his pediatrician when he was two weeks old. And he had actually lost a lot of weight. He hadn't gained, you know, you know, normally like about two weeks, they catch up to their birth weight, but he was still, oh, I would say if I remember right, six or seven ounces below his birth weight. And he still had jaundice, which we were really kind of, you know, the doctor was kind of concerned about. And I was like, okay, well, I, you know, we'll just try and nurse more. I'll be skin to skin more. And, you know, we'll just make, maybe I just wasn't feeding him as much as I needed to. And so, the pediatrician wanted me to come in for weigh-ins every couple of days. And so I did. And he just wasn't gaining weight. He just wasn't gaining weight. Or he would gain like half an ounce in a week, which is not really that great for a baby. And so so he started a little bit of supplementing, but not really a lot. But what I would do is I'd be sitting there with my baby and I would be nursing him for, I would be feeding him for an hour. So I would nurse on one side for 20 minutes and then I would nurse on the other side for 20 minutes and then he would still take two ounces from a bottle guys that's like really bad like he was about a month old and that's like really not that's not a good sign that he's getting enough if he still has room in his stomach for that much more milk and um, in the meantime I learned about uh, milk sharing donor milk and I there were so many women that I was able to collect milk from who donated their extra milk um, in order to help me feed my baby so that I didn't have to give him formula, which I don't think formula is bad. My first baby was formula fed and all my babies have had formula at some point, but it was really neat experience to be able to have that. But at the same time, my baby wasn't gaining weight and I was, I had a two-year-old and I would spend an hour feeding my baby every two hours for what for nothing I don't know for I don't know we were trying to make it work but in the meantime I had this hour-long time where my two-year-old was being completely ignored but I thought I was a failure as mom I felt like a failure because like I had a vaginal birth like it should work it should work and it wasn't working and I was miserable and I remember um, before we started really actively supplementing all the time my husband took 10 days off of work and I told him like we talked about it and I said okay I'm going to take 10 days and I'm going to all I'm going to do is lay in bed with my baby we're going to be skin to skin the whole time I'm not even putting a t-shirt on my baby's only going to wear a diaper and 
we're just nursing on demand every time, every second of the day if he wants to. But then he would nurse for like 20 minutes. And then he would always fall asleep at the breast. And then I would have to switch him and change his diaper to wake him up so that he would nurse some more. And then switch him to the other side and he would nurse and he would fall asleep while he was nursing because he was never fully satisfied because he wasn't getting enough milk. So I tried fenugreek and blessed thistle and all of the time, like 12 different supplements, goat's rue, uh, shadavari, I mean, all these different supplements. And I met with IVCLC three times and we were nursing and pumping and all of these things and it still wasn't working. And I remember these after the, at the end of these 10 days where I spent every second of my day, either skin to skin or nursing my baby, my baby had not gained a single ounce. He hadn't gained any. He hadn't lost any. He was just exactly the same. And I remember the day that I saw the number on that scale and that it hadn't changed at all. I felt defeated. I felt like the worst mom. I felt like I was doing something wrong, that I couldn't perform the most basic biological need of my baby. And I, I'd literally done everything. I, I was in support groups. I had friends with all the doulas and all the IVCLCs and the lactation consultants and the everybody and the everything. And, and luckily we had a really supportive pediatrician, but that's kind of where when I sank into this deep depression. And I remember the day after <clears throat> we got home from that weigh-in and I, and I knew I was going to have to feed my baby from the bottle and, and he would probably just slowly prefer the bottle anyways, just like my first one did. I just had this moment where I remember I was just in the, on the floor of my bedroom and my baby was on one leg and my two-year-old on the other leg and they were both screaming and crying because my two-year-old wanted me to carry him downstairs but I couldn't carry him downstairs while I carried my baby down the stairs and because I had a couple other things I had to bring I didn't want to go down the stairs two times and I was sobbing and baby was sobbing my two-year-old was sobbing and I just felt so alone and I felt so defeated and it was heartbreaking and I had really bad postpartum depression after all of this. And, and sure enough, after I don't even remember how long, a, a couple weeks maybe or months, after that point, my, my baby did prefer only the bottle. And luckily, we were able to feed him. There was, I think, over 30 different women donated their milk to feed my baby until he was nine months old. And then I decided, well, he's eating goldfish off the floor anyway, so might as well just... Switch them to formula and, and uh, have the other babies that needed it more. The younger babies have other people's donor milk. So so we switched to formula and, and, you know, that was that. But I remember, oh, those moments coming out of that depression. It was really, really hard. And so when I was pregnant with my third baby, I set boundaries. I set rules for myself. And I was like, if it ever gets to the point where I have to pump every time I feed my baby that I'm switching to formula. If it ever gets to the point where I feel like I am neglecting my other children, I'm going to switch to formula. If it ever gets to the point where I set boundaries just like that for me because I knew that I could not afford to get stuck in that deep, dark depression like I was um, with my second baby. So I, I did. It was actually really funny because my third baby 
You know, she was a surprise pregnancy, which didn't really help much with the depression. And then she surprised us all by coming three weeks early. And then she had reflux really bad. So we couldn't even use donor milk. We had to use a hypoallergenic, dairy-free, soy-free formula. And I, I fed her for about a week and went into the doctor to weigh her in. And she hadn't gained her birth weight back. So we started supplementing. That was my stop. If she was ever at a dangerously low weight or if she wasn't gaining weight uh, you know, in in a, even the lower end of average, you know, just gaining weight at all would have been nice. But she, you know, th- we did the same thing, except for she had all these sensitivities and really bad reflux. So that was her journey. And then with my fourth baby, I, I had known enough that like I was, I was okay with whatever came to us, with whatever fell in her lap. And it was really funny how this worked out because I have a friend of mine, a dear friend, and she and I were pregnant at the same time, and it was both of our last babies, and they were both girls, and this girl had also fed my second baby some some extra donor milk because she is a machine. Like, she's a machine. I mean, like, not making enough milk really, really sucks, but also having extra milk and having having to pump because you will literally get sick if you don't because you make too much. That's also really hard. So my friend, her baby was born three days before mine and she had a girl also. And my blessed friend, she lives about an hour away from me. But every Friday, she would bring milk to my house, enough milk plus some more to feed my baby 100% with her donor milk. And I don't know if you know how breast milk works, but if, you know, it's breast milk grows and matures as a baby grows and matures, and it's unique to different genders too. So breast milk for a girl is made up of different composition than breast milk for a boy. Really interesting, right? Breast milk's pretty incredible. So my sweet friend who has a baby three days older than my baby would bring me more than enough milk to feed her every Friday for the first six months of her life. She was she nursed from me for the first oh, week and a half or so until she wasn't really gaining her birth weight back. And, you know, we've been there, done that before. And it wasn't, I, I had become a lot more comfortable with it. And, and knowing that my friend had my back was really, really incredible. So, so she's such a sweetheart. And it's been a really nice journey. We call... You know, um, in other cultures, when a woman shares her breast milk with somebody or with another person's baby, they're her baby and the baby that received her donated milk are known as milk siblings. And so it's really cool because my baby and her baby are milk sisters and she's their milk mama. And it's been a really sweet journey to know um, and have that available and to know that even though I don't make enough milk to even sustain my babies, that milk sharing is another option. And formula is also an option. Right now, she she makes uh, my baby's eating formula. My baby's 10 months old while at the time of this recording. And we do have her on formula now. But for the first six months of her life, she had donated milk from another human This amazing friend of mine fed her baby and my baby, plus her three-year-old, by the way. (laughs) How incredible is that? And I just, it's just such a cool option, and I'm really grateful. This is kind of how 
my baby feeding journey ended. And I just, anyone that's listening, you know, having a VBAC does raise your chances of successful breastfeeding, but it's not the only thing that matters. And not only that, taking it to another level, how you feed your baby is not the only thing that matters as far as what makes you a good mom. Exactly. Yeah. It, it doesn't make you a bad mom if you can't breastfeed your baby and if you don't want to breastfeed your baby either. You know what? Let me tell you, bottle feeding definitely has its perks, but so does breastfeeding. And I just want you to know anyone that's struggling with any type of, of feeding, baby feeding issue, no matter what it looks like, I promise you that you are a good mom. And I know you're a good mom because you're worried about it. You are worried about it. And that is what makes you a good mom is because you care so deeply about how your actions affect the needs and emotional state of your little ones. Yeah, it's so important. It really is so important for all mamas to know out there that, you know, if breastfeeding doesn't work out for you, it's okay. And formula is fine. I was formula fed. My mom couldn't (laughs) breastfeed me. So it's okay. And thank you, Julie, so much for sharing your story today. And we hope that that definitely touched someone out there. I'm guaranteeing that it will. (laughs) All right, you guys. Happy New Year. Let me just tell you, we will see you in 2019. On the flip side. Yeah. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to the VBAClink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the VBAClink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAClink.